0: Um, In our sermons, we've been preaching through a book of the Bible called 1 Corinthians. Uh, We're going to continue in that today, Um, and we're in chapter 15, Um, so if you've got Bibles and want to be finding that, um, that would help you uh, in a few minutes when we read the passage. Let me just explain to you what we're going to do with chapter 15. Contrary to what we had planned, um, I'm actually going to take three weeks in this chapter because it's such a a deep, glorious chapter and I want us to really get our teeth into it. So what we did last week is we talked about um, where Paul starts in the chapter, verses 1 to 11 with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a rock-solid foundation on which to build. And we looked at, look, Jesus really rose from the dead. There's all these witnesses. It's the most glorious thing that has ever happened. Well, this week what we're going to do is we're going to uh, just press on from there a bit. We're going to look at some of uh, what the implications of the resurrection are. What difference does it make? Uh, And we're going to see that one of the implications of the resurrection of Jesus is that there is a resurrection to come for all who follow Jesus. And we're going to think through, well, okay, if there's a resurrection to come, how does that change the way I live here today? And then what we're gonna do next week is we're gonna pick up the end of the chapter that says, okay, this resurrection to come, what will that be like? What will our bodies be like? Will they be the same, will they be different? What will the world be like? Will it be the same, will it be different? So that's where we're gonna go next week. Just before I read the passage, I just wanna share with you that I believe preaching on the resurrection is a really kind of timely thing for us to do. It's a really important thing for us to do because I think resurrection can tend to be an area of weakness in the Western church. What we do with it is we make it sometimes just like a kind of PS, or a footnote, or like a happy ending to the story. So uh, we'll we'll spend a long time talking about the cross, and rightly so, but then we'll neglect the resurrection. And actually, the cross and resurrection need to go together, because without the resurrection, the cross wouldn't have saved any of us. And so in our heads, we believe that there's a resurrection to come, but we don't give it much thought. And if you actually took away that belief in the future resurrection from us, many of our faith would still take a very similar shape to what it does today. It doesn't um, really sit as a foundation stone um, for that many Western Christians. And I I believe the reason that the resurrection uh, doesn't tend to find itself in such a central position as it does biblically is I don't think that many of us are convinced that we're going to die. Now, I think in our heads, we know that one day we will, but we don't really get it. We've got kind of a quite a cushy, comfortable uh, life. So the reality of our mortality doesn't grip us tightly. Now, globally and historically, that hasn't been the case. I want you to imagine that you live in a culture where the bullets are flying. You're in a war zone. Well, this truth that there's a resurrection to come for all who follow Jesus and eternal life... That's glorious, isn't it? That's what you put your hope in. Imagine you live in a culture where there's um, abject poverty, where every day you're, you're in danger of starvation. The resurrection then is huge, isn't it? You've got something to look at and be like, okay, so my life's like this, but God's got something for me for all eternity. Imagine you live in a place where disease is rampant. Imagine you're one of the global millions who's suffering with AIDS well then resurrection doesn't seem such a a distant, irrelevant truth anymore. The fact that the power and hold of death is broken, you hold on to that tight, don't you? Here's my question for you then. Why is it that we see our lives as any less flimsy than people's lives in those cultures? So what? We we live in a nation where the average lifespan is 80 rather than 40. That doesn't mean you'll all make it to 80. Some of us might die in our 20s. Some might die in our 30s. Maybe some of us will die in the next year, or the next week. And even if you do make it to 80 years, well what's that? Eighty years, it's but a bit of mist. It's just but a bit of flicker in the scope of eternity. There's countless ages that this universe has existed and will exist for. Eighty years? What's that? And yet there's this promise that, yes, you'll have your 80 years and and die, but there's resurrection, death will be defeated, and there's life eternal going right on into eternity future, never ending with Jesus Christ in the new creation. That is a huge deal. And so, church, I want us to get this. I want us, as we dig into 1 Corinthians 15, to get that the resurrection is massive. Our life here is but a flicker. Let's use it well, but let's have a hope in eternity. So let's read from the Bible. If you're in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, read with me. I'm going to go from verse 12 and stop at uh, verse 34. It says this. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ hasn't been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain we're even found to be misrepresenting God. Because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he didn't raise if it's true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only... Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when he says all things are put in subjection, it's plain that he has accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him. That God may be all in all. Otherwise, what do people mean by being baptised on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptised on their behalf? Why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Don't be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right. And don't go on sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. Well, what I want us to do with this, I want us to start uh, by looking at some of the implications of the resurrection of Jesus. We're going to look uh, initially from verse 14 to verse 19. Because the resurrection of Jesus, it does change everything. The neglect of it is the great weakness of the church. Without the resurrection, we've got nothing more to offer than anybody else in the world. But with the resurrection, we have a truly, truly magnificent hope to take to the world. And it's not just the abstract fact that the resurrection happened, which is mind-blowing, but it's actually the fact we can build our lives on the resurrection. It does change the way we live day by day. So what I want to do is show you what it would mean if Jesus hadn't risen from the dead. Just imagine Jesus hadn't risen from the dead. Well, the first thing Paul says about that in verse 14, if Christ hasn't been raised, then our preaching is in vain. So Here's me. I'm standing here and I'm teaching you to live your life in relationship with Jesus. I'm teaching you to live by his power. I'm teaching you to live for his glory. Now now just imagine that he's still dead in the ground and I'm teaching you to live in relationship with him. Well that's kind of dumb isn't it? Because you can't know him. You can't live in relationship with him. All you can do is maybe, in some kind of distant corner of your mind, conjure up something and convince yourself it's true, and all you'd have is some shallow imitation that turns out to be no more than an imaginary friend for grown-ups. If Christ isn't dead, that's the nearest you could get. Imagine, Jesus is still dead in the ground, and I'm teaching you to live by his power, but he can't empower you to do anything. You know, all those answered prayers, turns out they really were just a massive bunch of coincidences all those healings turns out it's all in the mind those millions of changed lives that's willpower at work for you because he's dead in the ground there's nothing to empower anything imagine he's he's dead in the ground and i'm telling you um, that whatever you do whether you eat drink whatever do it for his glory what a dude who's been decomposing for two millennia that's crazy If Jesus hadn't risen from the dead, then what we're doing right now is the biggest waste of time. If you're here today and you don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead, I'd respectfully ask you what in the world are you doing? This is a waste of time. Now I'm really really glad you're here because uh, it's my prayer that you will uh, be here and you'll say yes he, he is risen. Yes he is risen. This isn't a waste of time. But if Jesus didn't rise our preaching's in vain. This is a huge waste of time. It's more than just a waste of time actually. Uh, Paul says uh, in verse 15 we're even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he didn't raise, if it's true that the dead are not raised. So so imagine that. Imagine I'm here telling you that on Friday, Jesus was dead, and then on Sunday, God raised him to life. Uh, Well, if that didn't happen, I'm telling you something false about God. I'm making the central thing of what I say something untrue about God. That puts me in quite a grave position, doesn't it? I'd have to give account to God for that. It's not just not good for me, it's not good for the 2,000 years of preachers who've gone before. Across the ages, right across Christianity, this has been the rallying call. This has been the centre point, Jesus crucified and risen. Imagine that, every Christian preacher in history has been misrepresenting God. That's what it would mean if he wasn't raised. Well, it's probably not a good situation for you either because I'm guessing there's a whole bunch of people in this room who've told friends of yours at one point or another, Jesus is risen from the dead. God raised him up to life. Well, you're misrepresenting God as well. We're all in quite a grave situation. If Jesus didn't rise, we're misrepresenting God and we really ought to shut up and just stop saying it. That's the first implication if Jesus hadn't risen. Second implication, verse 14 again. If Christ hasn't been raised, our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. What is your faith? What's your faith in? It's about Jesus Christ taking your sins as a perfect substitute. But if we say Jesus is a perfect sinless substitute, when he died, death wouldn't have been able to get his teeth into him. Because death needs the one who died to be a sinner to hold them down. So if Jesus was still dead, it would have meant, no, he wasn't a perfect substitute. No, he wasn't an acceptable sacrifice to God. His mission would have been a failure. You would still be in your sins. Your faith would be in vain. There would be no justification for you to share in. Because what the resurrection is, it's a vindication. Okay, man had said, Jesus, you're guilty, you deserve to die. The resurrection is God saying, I'm declaring you to be righteous. Now, because we're joined with Christ, God declares us to be righteous too, in Christ. So we would not be justified without the resurrection. Your faith is in vain. Without the resurrection, there'd be no new life. Because new life is given by the same resurrection power that raised Christ at work to raise you spiritually from the dead. So your faith is in vain. You're still in your sins. We teach that through the death and resurrection of Jesus, you're freed from the penalty of sin... So, um, the judgment of God that you deserve, and also from the power of sin to rule over your life. If Jesus hadn't raised, you're still going to face the penalty for sin, and you're still under the power of sin. If Jesus didn't rise, we're all wasting our time. The Christian thing you're putting, you're hoping to save you, it can't save anybody. I want you to think of your deepest, darkest sin the one that uh, you most cried for joy, that it was uh, released from you when you first heard about grace. If Jesus isn't risen, you're still in that sin. You're still in all your sin. Your faith is futile. It's a waste of time. So if Jesus didn't rise, our faith is in vain, and we really ought to give up. What else? Well, um, those who've fallen asleep in Christ they've perished. That's what verse 18 says. Those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Have you ever been to a Christian funeral? You can answer if you want. Have you ever been to a a non-Christian funeral? Is there a difference? Christians grieve in a different way to non-Christians. There's a hope. There's a joy. You know what? If Christ hasn't been raised, we've got that one wrong. We're acting like idiots. Someone we love has died uh, and there's nothing more. Uh, and there we are kind of being celebratory and expressing hope. If Christ hasn't raised, we should grieve like them. That's the right thing to do. No, they've not gone to a better place. they are gone. That's it. If Christ hasn't risen, there's no hope for those who've died. The thing that transforms the death of a loved one for a believer is the resurrection of Jesus. You know you're in him. You know that death is not the end of the story. Jesus hasn't risen. Forget it. Weep and mourn with no hope. They're gone. That last flickering light of of life, it's been snubbed out and that is it. If Jesus hasn't risen, believing there's hope for those who've died in the Lord, it's like believing in pixies. It's crazy. If Jesus didn't rise, those who've gone before us are D-E-D dead. And we really ought to grow up. If Jesus didn't rise, we're the most pitiable people in the world. Verse 19, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, We're of all people most to be pitied. He's saying, guys, you're idiots. If Jesus hasn't risen from the dead and you're basing your life on this, you're crazy. You know, sometimes when when I'm sharing uh, with a friend uh, about what I believe, I'll talk about the church, I'll talk about how it's quite cool and contemporary and edgy. What am I doing? We can do all this. We can do cool, contemporary and edgy. Without the resurrection, it's pointless, futile and pitiable. If that's what I think is is attractive to people, that's insane. It's the resurrection. It changes everything. That's what I need to share. Make sure when you share with your mates, you share Jesus was dead, now he's alive. That's what we share. Otherwise, it's just futile and idiotic and we're all fools who are wasting our time. The resurrection changes everything. Let's let's read on. Let's read from verse twenty. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Hallelujah. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. So Jesus has been raised. That's fantastic news. Our preaching isn't in vain. We're not misrepresenting God. You can live in relationship with him by his power for his glory. Your sins are forgiven. You're free both from the penalty and power of sin as you're in Christ. Those who've gone before you, there is hope for them. If they've died in the Lord, there's a sure and certain hope. And we're not most to be pitied because this is the real deal. Christ is is risen and on the last day there will be a glorious resurrection of all who've believed in him the two things go hand in hand verses 12 and 13 have said the same thing if christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead how can some of you say there's no resurrection in the dead but if there's no resurrection, the dead not even Christ has been raised. The two go hand in hand. The resurrection of Jesus 2,000 years ago and the resurrection to come for all believers. The two are linked. Either it's a yes resurrection for Jesus and for everybody or no resurrection at all. But we saw last week, Jesus has been raised. It's undeniable. So there is a resurrection to come in early Judaism uh, at this time there was a debate uh, between uh, a lot of the thinkers that will there be a resurrection uh, the Pharisees said yeah there will there'll be a resurrection the Sadducees said no, no 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 don't be silly there's no such thing as resurrection well that one was kind of settled quite decisively when Jesus rose from the dead that kind of uh, sorted that one out and because the man Jesus rose from the dead that gives um, a sure certainty that resurrection to come is was going to happen. The fact that Jesus rose affirms the biblical teaching um, that the resurrection will happen because resurrection has already started happening. So, how how is it linked? How is it that that Jesus rose back then and we're gonna rise in the future? That's not what people were expecting, kind of one man in the middle of history. Well, it's like a first fruits. That's the language that's used here. Christ is the first fruits. It's an analogy of the harvest. So imagine you've got all the crops in the soil, and then the first ones burst out. And in that first crop, you've got a sample of what the whole crop is gonna be like. And you can have confidence the whole crop will come through and you can see what the whole crop will be like by looking at the first one. That's how it is with the resurrection. Jesus was the first fruits of what is to come. Why? Why does the resurrection of Jesus mean that we will be risen? It's to do with something called representative headship, big term. Uh, But it's the idea that the actions of one individual can have an effect for everybody. So uh, a good example of this in the Bible uh, is the story of David and Goliath. There were two armies lining up for battle and they came to this arrangement. Okay, the Philistines send forward your biggest, toughest guy, Goliath. I'm going to represent the Philistines. Israel, right, have you got anyone who will take him on? David steps forward. The two people are both representing their nation. And as David defeats Goliath, all of this Israelite army shared in the victory. They won the war because he won the war. That's like a representative headship deal. Well, what it teaches here is that the human race has a representative head who is known as Adam. And it didn't go so well for him. It says that as by a man came death in Adam all die. So if you're in Adam, if you're on Team Adam, so to speak, then you share in that. You will die if you're in Team Adam. How do you know if you're on Adam's team? Well there's a simple test to find this out. Look at your parents If they are human beings, then you're on Team Adam. That's how it works, okay? It's kind of a genetic thing. You're born into it. He's the head of the human race. So Team Adam died, but there's also another representative head, and that's Jesus. Jesus also had a team that he represented. He says, look, um, as by a man came death, By a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Jesus, he he was the first raised, but it's more than just he was the first one to experience resurrection. He actually created the possibility of resurrection by taking on death. In the same way David took on Goliath, Jesus took on death. He chose to die and take it on. He laid down his life, he took it up again. He burst through the shackles of death. And so as we're in him, we can follow him through. Well, how do you know if you're in Christ then? How do you know if you're on team Jesus? Well, with Adam, it's if you're born, you're on team Adam, if you're born physically. With Jesus, it's a similar deal. It's if you're born again, if you're born spiritually, if your heart has been awakened You're on Team Jesus. There may be some of you here who are thinking, cool I want that, I want to be on Team Jesus, I want to be born again, how do I get myself born again? Well being born again isn't something that you do, it's what the Holy Spirit does to you. However if you're thinking, actually that's something I want, then there is something you can do. You can repent of your sin, you can put your faith in Jesus and you can live your life following him. Build your life around that. And what you'll have done is shown that you are born again. You'll have shown that the Spirit has done that work in you. And so you can have confidence if you've repented of your sin and put your faith in Jesus, that you are born again, that you are on team Jesus, and that you will be made alive in him. So Jesus rose. And when he did, it was as the first fruits, as the head of the human race, emerging through death, so that all who are in him will be risen too on the last day now I'm just going to pass over the next few verses verses 24 to 28 that's not because um, I want to ignore them it's because they fit really well with where we're going next week so just hold fire on that and you'll hear some stuff there but I just want to jump um, to, to this paragraph 29 to 34 because what I want to do is ask the question okay so there's a resurrection to come What difference does that make today? How does it change the way I live at the moment? Well, we're going to see a few ways it makes a difference. Let's read it. Otherwise, what do people mean by being baptised on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptised on their behalf? Why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Don't be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor as is right, and don't go on sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. The first thing Paul says is, look, actually, you guys in Corinth, you're already acting like you believe resurrection's true. The way way you're doing things, it shows that that the resurrection is there. If, If there was no resurrection, why in the world are you doing what you're doing? Now in Corinth, what they were doing was called baptism for the dead. What was that? Well, we're not exactly certain, but the most likely thing is it was um, a practice. Imagine a situation where somebody had come to know Jesus, but then died before they'd had an opportunity to get baptised. So I guess we're in a similar situation to like the thief, the thief on the cross beside Jesus who, who repented and came to know the Lord, uh, but hadn't had an opportunity to get baptised. Well, you, you say, okay, so such a person, are they saved because of their faith? Absolutely. Absolutely they are. You'd say, are they lacking something? Well, not in terms of their salvation, no. But they're lacking something in the sense that the Bible teaches that we are to repent and be baptised. So in that sense, yeah, they're lacking something. Well, so the Corinthians, they had kind of a creative solution to this issue. Where, where what they'd do is they'd have somebody else get baptised on their behalf as kind of a proxy So it wasn't like they saw someone unrepentant who died and were trying to uh, manoeuvre their way out of hell. It wasn't that kind of deal, I don't think. Uh, I I think it was um, a believer had died but hadn't been baptised. So that's what these Corinthians were doing. Is it something we should be doing just as an aside? Um, uh, First thing to say is I wouldn't condemn a Christian group who were doing it because uh, these guys were doing it and Paul didn't have a go at them for doing it. But he doesn't commend them for it. He doesn't say, hey, it's great that you're doing this. Uh, Nowhere in scripture is it taught or commanded. So I I don't believe it's a practice we should pick up today, um, although I wouldn't condemn others who did. Um, But why is it here? What's it got to do with any of this stuff? Paul has said, look at this. Look at what you're doing here. You're starting maybe verbally to deny the resurrection. But what you're doing wouldn't make any sense without it. If the dead aren't going to be raised... Why are you baptising people on their behalf? We could ask similar questions today. It wouldn't be about baptism of the dead, but it might be about other stuff. Maybe there are people in this room who, in your life, you've participated in a seance, or you've used a Ouija board. Now that's dangerous, it's ill-advised. It opens you to dark spiritual influence. So if you've been involved with that stuff, grab us, we'd love to chat and pray with you and help you walk. freedom. But here's the thing, if you were doing that, then you've shown a belief already that death isn't the end. It wouldn't make sense without something more beyond death. That's the imitation stuff. Resurrection is the truth that that's imitating. People make reference to past lives. People are worried about speaking ill of the dead in case they end up haunted. People refer to the idea of their dead relative looking down upon them. Now, these beliefs, they don't quite hit the nail on the head, but without the actual truth of resurrection, it wouldn't make any sense that that any of you believe this stuff. It shows there's already something there. You know that the dead go on beyond death. What about the way we do funerals? What about the hope that's expressed there? What about the words that are said? Well, it wouldn't be like that without the truth of the resurrection. So, So the way we live kind of already shows a belief in it. What other difference does the truth of the resurrection can make? Well, it's the truth that we die every day. Paul says, why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus if the dead are not raised? He said, look, if there's no resurrection, why do I keep putting myself in situations where I get a kicking for my faith? Why do I go through that if there's no resurrection to come? How many of you know that following Jesus isn't an easy life? It's a hard life. Because the Jesus that we follow, he was homeless, he was often penniless, he was betrayed by one of his maids, he was denied by another, he was abandoned by them all, he was beaten, he was mocked, he was whipped, he was spat upon, he was stripped, and he was brutally murdered. So if you call him your God, and you think the deal is that you get a Bentley and a Lazy Boy. Something's gone kind of wrong in your thinking. That isn't how it works. What about his 12 followers then? What deal did they get? James was beheaded, Andrew was crucified, Peter was crucified upside down, James the son of Alphaeus, was stoned then had his brain beaten out by a fuller's club, Matthew was nailed to the ground with short spears and then beheaded. Now the 12 disciples, 11 of them were executed. The other one, John, he was beaten, tortured, they tried to boil him alive, then they sent him into exile on Patmos to a forced labour camp. He didn't have an easy deal either. What about others? Paul was executed, Stephen was stoned to death, In 155 AD, Polycarp was burned at the stake, just one of many under the Roman persecutions. It's a pattern that's gone throughout history. In the Dark Ages, martyrs were killed for the faith. In the Reformation era, many martyrs were killed for the faith. In the 16th century, the Puritans suffered martyrs. On August the 15th, 1549, 26 Christians were martyred in Japan. In the 17th to 19th centuries, 300,000 Vietnamese Christians were martyred. In 1867, Thomas Baker and eight men who he had led to faith were killed and eaten in Fiji. In 1885, Charles Luwanga was martyred in Uganda. In 1945, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was hanged at Flossenberg concentration camp. In January 1956, Jim Elliot was killed by the orca in Ecuador as he tried to bring them the good news of Jesus. On June 24, 2009, Rihyeon Ok was executed for distributing Bibles in North Korea. On August 10th, 2010, six Christian medical workers in Afghanistan were killed. And that's just a small handful of examples. I could have picked literally millions more. It's estimated that in history, 70 million Christians have died for their faith. It's become so intensified that in the last century, there have been more martyrs for Jesus than in the previous 19 centuries put together. As it stands, 171,000 Christians across the world are killed for their faith every single year. Here's the question then. What could possibly motivate that? What would motivate 70 million people to die for their Lord? Well, one of them, uh, Jim Elliott, who I referred to, he put it this way. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Another of them, the Apostle Paul, he said it like this, that I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Another martyr, Jesus Christ, said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. If it dies, it bears much fruit. People who die for the faith, die for the faith, looking to the resurrection. He's no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. If only that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection of the dead. You see, if this life is all that you have, then do everything you can to hold on to it. It's all you've got. If you died, that would be it. Game over. Definitely don't lay your life down for the cause. There's no place for heroes if this is all you've got. Hang on to it. But if this life is just a snippet of a glorious eternity in resurrection bodies in the new creation with the Lord then lay it down then sacrifice it all because what you're given is so small and the rewards are so big joyfully lay down your life what motivates martyrs is the resurrection of Jesus and the resurrection that is to come now some of you might be thinking, all right Tom, it's all well and good to be talking about martyrdom and the resurrection. Haven't you noticed we live in the UK? Like since Susanna Beatty in 1882, we haven't really had martyrdoms here in the UK. So, so I kind of get how, how it would make sense of it for someone um, to die for their faith if need be, but why does it matter for me in my situation? Let me give you a number of ways it matters for you in your situation. Number one, some of you God will call to other parts of the world where uh, there's a very real present possibility of martyrdom. Some of you Jesus may well call to lay down your life for the gospel and resurrection hope is crucial at that moment. Do you so believe you'll be raised with Christ on the last day? That you'll go to the hard place? That you'll deliver the hard message even at the cost of your life? resurrection means we can say God I'll go where you send me and even if they kill me they won't do me any ultimate harm. Second reason it matters for us the prevailing cultural attitude in the UK is shifting so that some of us may very well see a day where martyrs are again made in the UK. We've already in our lifetimes seen a huge shift in the UK from being a prevailing nation, sorry, from being a prevailingly Christian nation to that kind of privileged position uh, being eroded, to now a hostility to any kind of faith that would make the sort of exclusive claim that the resurrection of Jesus demands that we make. He is- risen he is the only way now that's true and we've got to say that but when you say that today people look at you funny they're looking at you like you've crossed some kind of a taboo Bible believing Christianity it gets a bad press these days there's a momentum of hostility and resentment towards Christians that is building so it probably won't be long before we see Christians in jail for preaching the Bible well how long after that will it be till we see martyrdom if that day comes We need to be so focused on the glory that's to come that we won't flinch. We need to be those who will say to live is Christ, to die is gain. I'll live for him and I'll die for him if only I may attain the resurrection of the dead. We need to become those people today. The third way um, this idea of martyrdom makes a difference for us it's the same heart that would die physically that will die for Jesus every single day you see Paul wasn't just talking about the suffering that happens to come upon him he wasn't just talking about the beatings he took he was talking about the attitude of his heart he said I die every day if you're following Jesus that must be your attitude too an attitude that lays down your own desires. My desires, they're crucified. You're not your own anymore. You've died with Christ. You're living now by the purposes of God. You're throwing your life into his mission. It's a life of great joy, but it's a life where you die to your passions and desires and live to Jesus. Now what what I'm not talking about is doing kind of stupid burnout stuff. Get a good rhythm in your life. Work Sabbath so that you can run well for the rest of your life. But realise that the good life isn't this one. The good life is the one to come. The promised rest is the one to come, the new creation. So live this life uh, as a life to lay down. Live this life as a life to sacrifice. I'm sure many of you have heard it taught that this world is a battleground, not a playground. That's the deal. We die to ourselves every day as we fight the good fight. The resurrection makes a difference. It means we live sacrificially. The resurrection also means uh, we, we walk free of, of the materialist dream. Chapter 15, verse 32. says, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. We live in a nation where the obesity rates are increasing. The quantity and range of food available to us is greater than ever. We can have pizza one night, Chinese the next, then a curry, then out for a nice steak. As a nation, we eat like kings. We drink like champions. We're renowned for binge drinking exploits. Sexual promiscuity and immorality are rampant. We're avid consumers. We're always out for more and more. We have a shopaholic culture. Well, here's the thing, right? If the dead aren't raised, if this life is all there is, then we're on the right track. Why would we do anything else? Let's see what desires we've got and fulfill them. Why wouldn't we do that? There's no point being restrained. Eat, drink, make the most of it. Have a good time while you're here. That's all you've got. The only problem with that way of life is that the dead are raised. There is a future judgment to come. You will give account for your life. And the real deal is eternity. You know, when you're in the moment, it's so hard to grasp it. But this 80 years or this 20 years or however long you get is secondary to the day that's to come. So we shape our lives around that day and around honouring the God who came to this earth to die for us and save us so that we could be in the new creation with him. So in view of that day, we live well in this day. We don't pursue that materialist consumer dream. We don't invest our lives in the triviality around us, but invest our life in the glory of the gospel. Paul says this, he said, Don't be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. That's a warning about who you hang out with. Because it's easy when you hang out with people that you kind of catch their worldview, especially if you're doing it in an unthinking manner. And then you catch the accompanying way of life that goes with the way they see the world. How many Christians do you know who've kind of embraced this materialist way of doing life? Why does that happen? Well, it happens because there's a group of people who share in it, and then it kind of just catches like a virus. That's not consistent with what you believe. Jesus rose. You will rise too. So live for Jesus, not for stuff. And you might say, okay, okay, I get that. But what about Jesus? Didn't Jesus hang out with bad people? Yeah, he did. Okay, There are two ways it can work. One of them is heartily endorsed by the Bible, the other that we find here is condemned by the Bible. It's about the direction of influence. So Jesus hung out with bad people and brought the kingdom of God to them. He healed people. He saw people saved. He didn't hang out with them to be influenced by them. It's about which way the influence flows. By all means, hang out with people and influence them with the kingdom of God. But don't hang out with them and adopt their way of looking at the world. You have the truth. Why would you do that? In Deuteronomy it says of God's people will be the head and not the tail, we'll be the leaders, we'll be the influencers, not the one who just follow the way other people see it. So he says wake up from your drunken stupor as is right and do not go on sinning for some have no knowledge of God. I say it to your shame. Paul said look guys wake up, get with it. Jesus is risen, he was dead, he's now alive. has changed everything, that has implications for you. So wake up, what are you? Are you hungover? Don't you get it? Live like your God is alive. Live for him, walk with him. Some of you, you're living in sin and you've stopped even caring anymore. You're not fighting. Paul's wanting to throw cold water on your face. He's wanting to slap you around and say, what are you playing at? Get with the program, repent, stop sinning. Because the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. The resurrection means that preaching matters, it's not in vain. The resurrection means your faith matters, it's not in vain. The resurrection means there is hope for those who have died in the Lord. The resurrection means you're not just a religious idiot for believing this stuff. The resurrection means you can have a certain hope of your resurrection to come. The resurrection liberates you to live sacrificially, to die every day, to be physically martyred if need be. The resurrection frees you from the materialist dream to live a life of holiness and of purpose. The resurrection changes everything. So turn from your sin and indulgence to a holy life, living from your risen saviour now and on into eternity. There could be some of you here who never considered Jesus as risen Lord. You've never thought of him that way, as the one who conquered death, ascended to heaven, and now rules over the universe. Because he rose from the dead as victorious Lord, there is a compulsion upon you to repent of your sin and turn to him. And there's a glorious offer of grace that when you do, you'll find his arms open to accept you. This is a step you need to take. You can't just drift through your life. You need to come to Jesus as Lord and a saviour. Give your life to following him because he's risen and that changes everything. Some of you need to become a Christian this morning. Some of you need to do that. If that's you, if you know, if you're hearing this, I haven't thought of Jesus as risen. I do need to become a Christian this morning. Come and grab me. Maybe grab Asia, grab one of us at the end. Or grab someone who who brought you to church this morning and say, yeah, that's me. I need to become a Christian. We'll pray with you and we'll help walk you through what that looks like in your life. Make sure you do it. You need to come to him because he is risen. This is serious stuff. The rest of us, what do we need to do? We need to lift for him. We need to celebrate him. We need to lift his name up. Okay, the, the band forward, we're going to sing some more. We're going to worship him. We're going to uh, take the bread and the wine. It says in 1 Corinthians 11, as often as you eat this bread and drink, the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. He is alive, he is coming back. And, and in taking the bread and the wine, we're remembering, yes, he died, and yes, he's going to return. I am going to keep doing this until he returns to remember that he's the, the crucified and risen saviour. The bread represents his body. The wine represents his blood that was shed for you. So we welcome you forward. If you're a believer, come and take the bread and the wine. Just a practical note, uh, the big brown one has got wine in it. Uh, The clear plastic one has got juice in it. Um, If for reasons of conviction uh, you don't feel it's right for you to take the wine, then go for the juice, that's fine. Uh, But let's remember him, let's celebrate him, and let's worship him because he's alive and that changes everything. Amen.